Hey, before we get into the message here this morning, I want to ask you a question. How many of you love Jesus this morning? Anybody? That's a pretty good response. That's good. I, uh, I just wanted to ask that question before we dive into God's Word here this morning because I believe it's a very relevant question. Not that it isn't relevant every day of our life, but, uh, but I just think it's a relevant question, especially in light of what we're going to be looking at today as we continue in our series called Upside Down. We've been looking at different aspects of who Jesus Christ is. And today, one of the things that we're going to be looking at, or the thing we're going to be looking at, is Jesus, our loving bridegroom. And so I think asking us this morning, do we love Jesus? I think that's a very relevant question to ask in light of this, uh, this message today that we're going to be diving into. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think is really uh, in- incredible about this message this morning uh, is the reality that it will not only teach us about everyday life, which I think is important, you know, how is it that what is it that God's Word teaches us about how we get through life and whatnot? But um, it also helps us to understand what lies ahead. And, and I think, or I guess one of my hopes and my prayers is, is that as we dive into the message here this morning and we begin to, to see what the Word of God has to teach us, I, my prayer is, is that we would not just be living this life as children of God, uh, you know, just merely surviving. How many of you this morning... How many of you would testify that sometimes life just feels like you're in survival mode, that, you know, you're just going through life and the drudgery and the pressures of life just seem to be overwhelming, and, and it just seems like, I know for me, it just seems like sometimes, you know, every day is just the same old, you know, thing, and we're just kind of pushing through, and sometimes I just feel like life is all about surviving, and I don't believe that's what Jesus intended for us as his disciples you know, he said we, and we looked at this last week, but he said he came that we may have life and have it abundantly, and I, I feel like joy is one of those aspects that we should, as believers in Christ, just sort of relish every day of our life. Philippians, uh, a whole book, that, a letter that was written by Paul was kind of centered in on rejoicing, living our life in a spirit of rejoicing, and yet, every day can seem like it's just such drudgery sometimes. It just seems like we're just pressing through and surviving. But this morning, I pray that as we dive into looking at Jesus and we begin to look at him as our loving bridegroom, that we would begin to see uh, our life not as just a merely an opportunity to survive, but we would look forward with great anticipation the things of God. And so I think you'll see what I'm talking about as we dive into it. I want to pray for us this morning, and then we're going to dive into God's Word here together and look at what God's Word has to teach us. So pray with me, if you will, and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we've had this morning just to come and lift up our voices in song and adoration. Lord, I thank you for uh, an opportunity where we can do that freely, and, and God, just worship you in spirit and truth. I thank you for every song that we have sang this morning. Father, I thank you for every prayer that we have prayed. And God, I pray now that as we continue in just a time of worship through the reading and the preaching of your word, I pray, God, that you would help us to find peace there, that we would find a a place of worship there. God, as as we listen to the word of God being read and preached, God, I pray that, Lord, our hearts would be inclined toward you, that we would, we would, God, more than anything, desire to hear from you this morning. And God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that your word teaches us and it encourages us and it challenges us and it 
It points us into a direction, God, that we can know you more, but not just know you intellectually, but God, to to just experience more of you, God. And I, I pray, Father, that as we dive into your word today, that you would speak deeply into our hearts, that you would help us to understand even more about Jesus Christ than we already know. And Father, today as we look at Jesus being our bridegroom, God, maybe there's some here today that have never really even considered what that means for them. I pray, Father, that uh, you would just speak loudly and clearly into our hearts, that we would we would just be able to glimpse uh, who Jesus is, God, this morning as our loving bridegroom. We love you so much, and we thank you for this time together. We thank you for what you're going to do in these moments, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning, we're talking about Jesus, our loving bridegroom, and I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 3. This is going to be our starting point this morning. John chapter 3 is a very familiar uh, chapter of Scripture to us, uh, especially the verses 16 and 17 that we, that we all know very uh, clearly and are very familiar to us, but this morning, we're going to be uh, going here, and it's really interesting what we begin to see here uh, in, in this text that we're going to be looking at. Uh, so in our passage, we see something really interesting begin to unfold. Uh, in, in John chapter 3, in the, in the verses just before the text that we're going to read today, we have uh, a, a situation where Jesus has come, it says in Scripture, he's gone out into the countryside and he's come to this place of uh, this, this, this body of water, and it's there that he is baptizing. It says he and his disciples are there, and they're, they're baptizing, and it says that John, the baptizer, or John the Baptist, he is also on the scene, and he is with his disciples, and he is also baptizing. And what's really interesting is John's disciples, they come to John, and they go, hey, look, there's that guy Jesus over there. And he's doing the same thing you're doing. He's over there baptizing people. In fact, they go on to tell John, they say, in fact, all of them are going over there. I mean, it seems like he's got a lot, a lot bigger crowd over there. There's more people just sort of moving over there. And it's just, you know, it's one of these things that's kind of tearing them up a little bit. And, and we see John react to what his disciples are saying in the verses that we're going to be looking at here today. And it's here that I feel like we're going to see something really incredible about who Jesus is, especially in light of, of looking at him as our loving bridegroom. And so that's what we're going to be diving into this morning. But, but these guys, they come to John, and they, they tell him that, that, that Jesus is doing this. And John's reaction is like, listen, I've told you before, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Savior of the world. I'm just a man who preaches the gospel, preaches repentance, and I baptize people. And, and so he's, he's really challenging them to, to understand that. He says, that's the guy over there that has come to save the world. That's the Son of God. That's the, the Lamb of God. And so he's pointing this out to them. But then John reveals something really interesting. I, I think we should all in this room find very interesting. And this is what I want us to look at this morning. So read this with me, if you will. John chapter 3 verse 29 and 30, and then we'll use this text as sort of a springboard into the message that we're going to be looking at today. So here's what we read. John says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. 
Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And then here's those famous words that maybe you've heard before. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. So here's what's happening. John the Baptist says, uh, I came to tell you of the one who would be coming. In other words, John the Baptist says, I came to sort of pave the way for Jesus. And so he says, I've done that. I've lived my life in such a way that I am paving the way for Jesus, and this is what I've been called to do. And he says, but over there, that's the one who has come. That's the one who is the Son of God. That's the one who is the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. That's the one that, that must increase. He's the guy that people need to focus on He's the one that people need to go to from here on out. He says, my work is complete. In fact, he says here in the text that his joy is complete, and I love that. And so we begin to see this. But here's what John says as he's revealing all this to us. He uses this analogy of a friend to the bridegroom. And so this word bridegroom is mentioned. This this word for Jesus is mentioned. And, And so he uses this word bridegroom but he also references the bride, which is we know as the, as the body of Christ or the bride of Christ or the church in its simplest forms. And so, so there's a lot of elements being played out here. John is identifying three different people. He's, he's, de, he, he's describing or identifying for us the bridegroom who is Jesus. He's identifying the church who is the bride. And then he brings up this idea that he is the friend of the bridegroom. And so this is very important for us to understand as we look at this, he says here, he says, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. And so here's what John's saying. John's saying as he stands there and he sees Jesus in the midst of his ministry, that he is filled with joy because he has been the one who has proclaimed that Jesus is coming. And so for him, it's kind of like, man, everything he's talked about has now come into fruition. Everything he's been proclaiming is now happening. Jesus has launched his ministry. And so for John, he's very satisfied, if you will. He's very excited about everything that is happening. But he uses this term, the friend of the bridegroom. And here's what he's doing. He's basically identifying himself in the same way we might sort of reference a best man to a groom in a wedding. So this is what he's saying. He's saying, he says, I'm just the guy that's here to be with the bridegroom or the groom as we call it today, the groom who is to marry his bride. So he's just a friend and he rejoices when he hears the voice of the bridegroom. He rejoices when he hears the Lord, his Savior, over there doing ministry, doing all of these things. I can't tell you how many times I've I've, uh, officiated a wedding. I I guess it's a lot of them. Um, But it's uh, it's amazing because all of them have a lot of similarities. They all sort of have these, these common threads. And one of the most amazing opportunities I have as a pastor is to be able to go in, usually about an hour before the service starts and the wedding, it's wedding day, and go and hang out with the bridegroom or the groom as we would call him. Uh, we, we, I get to go and hang out with him. And, and typically when I first arrive, the groomsmen aren't there. They're usually, you know, escorting people in. But at some point they begin to come in. But usually when I arrive, 
there's, there's, there's two people there. There's the, the bridegroom or the groom that is about to be married, and then there's the best man. And so I had this unique opportunity to kind of hang out with them, and then as the groomsmen walk in, we begin to see all this stuff unfold. But, but here's what we typically see. And, and these other pastors around here, they could probably tell you the same thing. We typically see a lot of joking around that's happening. I mean, everybody's kind of in this good festival, celebratory spirit, and there's kind of these jokings. You, you hear that age-old joke? I mean, every best man has told every groom, well, this is the first day of the end of your life. You know, you're getting married, you know, is, you know that life is over. We hear that joke, you know, and there's all these little punches that are being thrown, and and as the groomsmen come in, they're kind of getting in on the last pranks that they're going to play, like, hey, she didn't come, you know, things like that, you know. And, and so you have all these, you can tell it's always this very, you know, sort of uh, just cool, celebratory, sort of fun time that we see and we sort of experience there with the groom. But toward the, toward the end of this final time, before the bridegroom walks out and, and the service begins, it usually never fails that the best man will sort of turn the attention. He'll kind of transition the atmosphere, if you will, from this sort of joking time to a time of seriousness. And I see it every time where the, the best man finally kind of goes to the, to the groom and he says to the groom, he says, hey man, listen, uh, we've been kind of cutting up and everything. I mean, you, you got five minutes before we're gonna walk out of there. And he just says something like, hey, I just wanna let you know, man, this is your day. This is your day. And I see it every time where the, the best man will just sort of encourage that groom. He says, you go out there. Listen to me. You go out there and you stand there and you welcome your bride in and y'all have the best life you could ever possibly have. Usually there's words of encouragement. Sometimes we, uh, there's prayer from the best man. If not, I'll kind of step in. We'll take care of that. But it sort of turns to a serious time where the focus begins to shift to this, you know, listen, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to proclaim, you know, that you're coming. Here you come, man. We're going to bring you out. We're going to usher you in. But at that point, the best man ceases to have really any, anything to do anymore with the service because he is just merely there for support. He becomes a friend to the bridegroom. And so this is what John's saying. He says, listen to his disciples as they come and they say, man, what's happening over there? They say, this is the way it's supposed to be. John seems to be telling them, this isn't my day. This is the day for the groom and the bride. This is a day that doesn't have a lot to do with me from this moment on. I'm the, I'm the friend and so I'm here to, to be a support and celebrate, but he must increase and I must decrease. And that's exactly what John says here. He's He's helping his disciples know that the most important thing that they could be focused on right now is on the other side of the river. It's Jesus. And so they're pointing to him. They're saying, listen, this is who you need to follow. This is the Savior. This is the Lamb of God. And so here we see this sort of playing out as John the Baptist says, he must increase, but I must decrease. John doesn't have any competitive attitude whatsoever toward Jesus. He knows that Jesus is the guy. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Messiah. He's proclaimed it. He's paved the way. His job is done. And so here we see this idea of Jesus being our bridegroom. So the question is this, who is this Jesus as our bridegroom? 
Now, maybe some of you are here today and you've, you've studied this and you, you understand pretty completely what it means that, that Jesus is our bridegroom. I could only imagine that some of you probably don't uh, know because we don't talk a lot about it. Now, if you come in for premarital counseling before a wedding, you'll hear us talk about it. But other than that, we don't have a lot of conversation about it. But I believe it's so important. And I've already laid that out for us because I believe that when we begin to see Jesus as the bridegroom, we begin to not only live our life, live our life just trying to get through life, but we begin to look ahead at the future. We begin to look ahead at Christ Jesus as one who is going to come in this glorious return. And as he comes, we can celebrate, we can look forward with great anticipation the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that's what this, a lot of this has to do with, and we're going to be diving into that here this morning. But let's look at what it means uh, that Jesus is our bridegroom. Now, in this passage, this isn't the first time that we've, we've really been exposed to Jesus being our bridegroom. In fact, if we go back to the Old Testament, if we go back to uh, look at the prophet Isaiah, we begin to see that he is referenced there as the husband to his bride. And I want us to look at that, to use this as sort of a, a stepping stone to get to where we want to be in the message here this morning. But the first time we, uh, one of the first times that we hear about the Messiah being our bridegroom or our husband is found in Isaiah 54, verses 5 through 6. And it says this. It says, for your maker is your husband. And I want to just kind of stop right there for a moment. You know, one of the things that we have learned about Jesus Christ is that he is the creator of the heavens and earth. In fact, the scriptures teach us that he created all things seen and unseen, right? Amen? He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the creator of everything that we can see. He is the creator of everything that took place in the universe. He is the creator of everything here. Everything was created by him, for him. And so it's very important that we understand that Jesus is the creator of all things. And so here we see in Isaiah here, as it references uh, this bridegroom, it says, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One, Israel, is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth, he has called. For the Lord has called you like a wife, deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she was cast off, says your Lord. And so here we see this idea presented to us that the Redeemer is one who is like a husband, and the one being redeemed is that of a wife. And so we begin to see this imagery, if you will, being played out. Then when we get to Isaiah 61, verse 10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. We all know that, that we are only made righteous through Christ Jesus. And it says, as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And so there again, we see bridegroom, we see bride. And so there's this great marriage that's sort of taking place that we see here. Isaiah 62, 5 says this, for as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And so we begin to get this imagery, if you will, of Jesus the bridegroom, Jesus the husband, whereas 
His people, those who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, who are not just the body of Christ, not just the church, but are also the bride of Christ, we begin to see this all playing out and this amazing message that's being sort of presented to us. And so this morning, I want us to take a look in, uh, a little bit deeper of who Jesus is as our bridegroom. The word bridegroom is often used in the Bible as a, as a metaphor for Jesus and bride for the church. We just covered that. And so this metaphor, because it's so beautiful, and it, because it paints a picture of something that is really simply amazing, something that we truly ought to understand if we're, if we're believers and followers of Christ Jesus, we want to know everything about Jesus that we can. And so it should be something that interests us. What is it that Scripture is trying to communicate to us if it's talking about Jesus being our bridegroom? And so we want to look at that. As I, as I, as I looked at this, I came up with 44 conclusions, and I want to give them to you this morning. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I, I'll give you four of them, though, and we'll just cut it down to this. There probably are 44 conclusions that we could look at, but, but we'll, we'll, we'll look at four this morning, and then we'll call it quits there. But the first conclusion that I, I sort of came up with was this, it, it, and this is what makes Jesus so beautiful to me, one of the things that makes Jesus so beautiful to me. The bridegroom pursues his bride. The bridegroom pursues his bride. You know, it, it never fails, and as I'm, I'm talking to married couples, a lot of times I, I talk about, you know, all kinds of things. Sometimes couples are going through some dry times in their marriage. Sometimes they're going through struggles in their marriage. And, and you know, what they always seem to point back to is those dating days, those days when they were courting one another, and that's when the eyelashes start batting, and they get a little flush, and it, that's what gives us the warm fuzzies is thinking back to the courtship days. And I, and I think the reason that is is because there's just something sort of romantic, if you will. There's something sort of interesting, if you will, about the bridegroom pursuing the bride, chasing after the bride. And one of the things that we come to realize about Jesus is that he pursues his people. And so we begin to see this. And I believe it's a beautiful analogy to think about the Savior, our Savior, wooing us with his Holy Spirit courting us, if you will, dating us, drawing men and women unto himself, this pursuing, this wooing, this chasing after us. And I, and I, I even see in Isaiah 5, uh, excuse me, 54, that we looked at earlier, in that same chapter of Scripture, it says that God pursues his people with great compassion. He says, I will pursue you with great compassion to gather you. And I love that, to gather his people. And so as we think about the bride being the, the church, if we think about the bride being the body of believers, here we are today gathered together. Have, have you ever thought that maybe you being here, being a part of this gathering that's here today is a part of God just really pursuing you, drawing you in unto himself, and leading you to a place where you can gather with other believers in Christ Jesus. But this idea, this imagery of Jesus chasing after us is hugely important. One of the things that we learn in Scripture is that Jesus is incredibly patient with us. Let me ask you a, qu a question this morning, Cross Point Church. How many of you are thankful that Jesus is patient with you? Amen? I know I'm extremely grateful that Jesus is patient with me. Because, you know, he, I know he has a plan for me. I know he has a life laid out for me. I know he, he has a direction and a course that he wants me to take. 
I'm often uh, at a place where I just don't see that, and I may drift this way or that way or whatever, but I am thankful that God is patient with me, that my Savior is constantly pursuing me and drawing me back in closer and closer to himself. And, and so I, I, all this is just imagery that sort of, sort of comes in my head. I, I'm reminded of Luke chapter 15 where Jesus is dealing with the grumblings of, of the Pharisees uh, as he often did. And, and as he is, he's sort of debating with them and talking to them, he, he paints another image for us to understand. He tells them, he says, how many of you, if you had a hundred sheep, if you had a hundred sheep and one of those sheep was lost, how many of you would, would leave the 99 and go after the one who was lost? And so again, this image of Jesus pursuing after the one who was lost and this, this Jesus, this bridegroom who is pursuing, who is pursuing us. And so, you know, I, I look at this and I think, man, how is this relevant for us today? And I realize that maybe there's some here today that just continue to run after, run away from Jesus. And maybe we're here today and there, and there are just people that, that, you know, for whatever reason, we, just, we, we tend to run from Jesus rather than run to him. And, and just thinking of that, I find myself thankful that Jesus continues to pursue, that Jesus, by the Holy Spirit of God, continues to woo and draw us near and, and, and draw us closer and closer to himself. So the bridegroom pursues his bride. The bridegroom is also, this is number two, is also very gracious and kind toward his bride. We see this in scripture as, as we look at this. The, the, the idea is uh, Jesus as a bridegroom is gracious and kind toward his bride. This is another example that really sets Jesus apart. It's another example that really helps us understand Jesus maybe in a different light than what we or typically seeing him, but he paints this picture for us, if you will, of grace and kindness and compassion. But why is it that Jesus is so gracious to us? Why is it that he is so kind to us? I mean, after all, we're sinners, aren't we? we we're all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. And so the reality is you think about who we are, you, you would think this would be someone who would maybe lose patience with us, someone who would be less thrilled about chasing us, about drawing us. He'd give up on us, but that's not who Jesus is. And in fact, the scripture tells us that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we're gonna talk about in a moment the sacrifice that he made. But here we begin to see Jesus as one who not only pursues us, but who is gracious and kind toward us. One of the most powerful passages of scripture that was really transformative in my life came from Titus chapter three. I remember it was shortly after I had responded to a calling uh, to ministry that God had placed on my life, and, and as, a, as a young pastor, I was just kind of curious about what it is that God wanted to teach me. I felt certainly very inadequate, even though today I still have just feelings of inadequacy. Back then, I was eat up with it, you know, and so I just felt as though I was just sort of inadequate, and I was really seeking as much as I could to understand about Jesus and try to really understand what, what he wanted me to know about him as I was going, being called to go out and to proclaim the gospel and to teach others about Jesus, I was praying just personally, God, show me the side of you that you want me to portray. And it's just something that, was, that I was just working through. It's just one aspect of my prayer life. 
But as I was reading through different passages, I came across Titus chapter 3. And I love this text I want to show you here this morning because I think it reveals the kindness and the goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul, as he's writing to this young protege, this young, uh, this young student that he is mentoring, Titus, just like Timothy, wrote to Timothy and encouraged him how to be a pastor. He's writing to Titus in the same way. And so as he's writing this, he just shares something that literally just blew me away. Look at this with me, if you will. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Paul's writing to this young protege, and he says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And so Paul says, this is who we used to be. Then he says this in verse 4. He says, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, receiving that which we don't deserve, his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So did you get that? Here's what Paul says as he's writing to this pastor I mean, think about it. You're writing a letter to a young pastor, and you want to give him everything that you can give him to teach others about Jesus. In fact, he instructs him. He says, man, when you go and you raise up elders, you know, teach them these things. And so he's, he's writing to them, and then he says this. He says, you remember, we used to be all of these things, and, and none of them are good. All these things is who we used to be. But he says, but the loving kindness of God, the compassion, the merciful Savior that we have in Jesus Christ. He came to our rescue, and not only did he transform us from who we used to be, but he filled us with the, the Spirit of God. He gave us life, that we could have life abundantly. And, 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 and I look at this text, and I'm so encouraged because it tells me something beautiful about my Savior, about our Savior. Jesus Christ, we used to be this. We didn't do anything to change it, but Jesus did everything to change it. And man, did he change it. And Paul says, that's what makes Jesus look so beautiful. And so here, we're reading this, these texts and we're, we're trying to understand what it means that that Jesus is our bridegroom, and we begin to see that the bridegroom is gracious and he's kind toward who? Toward his bride. So our bridegroom not only pursues us, but he is gracious and merciful to us. The third thing I want to point out to us here this morning is this. The bridegroom loves and sanctifies his bride. The bridegroom loves and sanctifies his bride. And this is important as well. I think there's a difference, and that's why I want us to look at this, and I think that's why we see this in, in the Scriptures even worded differently. There's a big difference in recognizing Jesus as compassionate and merciful and kind and forgiving than there is just knowing that he is loving, and he's all of these things. And so I could have sort of combined these together because I think they kind of go hand in hand. But at the same time, I think it's interesting 
and important that we recognize that God is also very loving. The bridegroom loves and sanctifies his bride. And so if you've ever been to a wedding, chances are you've heard this truth proclaimed. Maybe the, 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 the person officiating the wedding didn't say it like that, that God is a God of love and he sanctifies, but if he read from Ephesians 5, you certainly probably heard it, and that's where I want to kind of look at uh, this morning uh, with you as well. Every time we do premarital counseling, we go over this, but we're going to kind of go through this this morning as well. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 5, and let's look at verse 25, then we're going to look at verse 26, but we'll look at these two separately. This is a passage that we use quite often to talk to, to uh, bride, I mean, grooms-to-be, you know, husbands-to-be, and as we're looking at the, the whole husband and wife relationship, we look at this to, to challenge the husbands. But there's something about this that we also need to see that really reveals to us who Jesus is. And so here we see in Ephesians 5, he says this. Paul's writing this letter to the Ephesians and he says this, he says, husbands, loves your, love your wife, wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. And so here's where we would do, if I was speaking to a husband-to-be, I would probably focus on the husband loving his wife like Jesus loved the church. But I think what's really remarkable here and gives us great insight about Jesus is also recognizing that Jesus loved us so much. It says like Christ loved the church. And then we ask ourselves, I think that's only natural, we ask ourselves, well, how much did Jesus love the church? And Paul answers that in this verse when he says, and he gave his life for her. He gave his life for his bride. And so that's that unconditional love, amen? That's that unconditional love that, that says, man, he loves us so much that he would be willing to lay down his life for us, and that's exactly what he did. We know that Jesus ultimately went to the cross. It was on the cross that his flesh was torn. It was on the cross that he, was, he, he agonized for days. It was on the cross that his blood was spilled for the atonement of our sins. And so we know that Jesus was willing to lay down his life for who? For his bride, for the church, for his people. And so here we see this imagery continuing to just reveal so much about who Jesus is. He loved the church and how much he gave himself up for her. And so here's what we, we begin to see. And we're also given this sort of practical step, uh, step for husbands to love our wives like Christ loved the church. But the emphasis today is just on how much Christ loved the church. Now, Paul continues in verse 26. And this is what he says. He says that he may sanctify her, he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Think about this for just a moment. Okay, when we have a wedding, and I think everybody's looking forward to this moment, they're really not that concerned when the groomsmen walk out, right? I mean, nobody cares about the groomsmen. Nobody's like, look at those gentlemen. They are just dapper, you know? No, nobody even cares. You're still looking at Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at that point, right? Nothing has changed. Nobody really cares. The pastor's standing out here. He's nothing to see, right? And so he's standing out here. He's kind of posted up. 
You got the groom, you got the best man, you got the groomsman. Everybody's ready, and it's kind of ho-hum in the, in the auditorium, right? Then the music starts, right? And what happens? Everybody gets sort of excited about what's happening. Why? Because the bride is about to walk out. I mean, they could care less about the guys, but the, I mean, everybody knows, and they're all waiting for that cue from the pastor. You know what I'm talking about, where you go, you know, like this, and everybody stands up. I mean, why didn't they stand up for the guy, right? But they didn't. They didn't. They just come in, take their seat, post up, you know. And so here, all of a sudden, we get to that sort of, you know, that music sort of heightens, and everybody stands up, and they face the back. The doors swing open, and obviously, I'm talking about a traditional wedding, not one on a beach, right? But, but anyway, the doors swing open, and what's standing there? The beautiful bride. The beautiful bride in all her splendor, in all her beauty, in all her just beauty, there she is. And, and, and you know, it, it's, it's amazing because as everybody's looking and she begins to enter the room, you know, everybody's eyes are focused on the beauty of the bride. And so what Jesus is, is doing for us, as Paul reveals in this, in verse 26, he says that he is sanctifying her. He is making her holy. He is making her beautiful. He is making her righteous. He is sanctifying the bride. He is sanctifying the bride, it says here, and having cleansed her with the washing of water with the word that he may present the church to who? To himself. To himself. I mean, this is the wedding day. This is the bridegroom and the bride. This is, this is when you stand before the almighty God, not only as your Lord and Savior, but as your bridegroom. This is the marrying of the church to the bridegroom, and so he says, who is presenting her to himself in what? In splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It says here in verse 26 that she might be holy and without blemish. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. Have you ever thought about Jesus in this way? Think about it. Do you want to live your life just kind of pressing through? Or do you want to wait with great expectation as the beautiful bride who Jesus is sanctifying? And I know, guys, this kind of seems weird that we might be the bride, but that's the hand we've been dealt, right? We are the church. He is the bridegroom. And Jesus is constantly working in our lives to prepare us for that beautiful, beautiful day. What day? The day when he will come again. And so this brings us to our final conclusion. The fourth conclusion that I had for us is this. The bridegroom will come to marry his bride. You know, one of the things that, that we understand through Scripture is that Jesus will return. The scriptures are very clear that Jesus will come to, to, to start a, a new kingdom, a, a new Jerusalem, it says in scripture. It says that he will come to bring us uh, a, a new kingdom and, and he, will, he will come to his bride. He will return. And so as we read throughout scripture, we begin to see this, this revelation that is revealed to us in one of the places that we can go to see a, a lot about what the Bible speaks on this issue is to revelation. And so one of the things that we see is that John the Revelator, the same one who wrote the Gospel of John, wrote Revelation. This isn't John the Baptist now we're talking about, but 
But John, as he's writing, he's speaking not only of Christ's return, but he's also rejoicing over the return of the bridegroom, and he's asking us the question, if you will, in his writings, are you ready? Are you ready? And so what we see in Revelation chapter 19, starting with verse 6 and 7, is we see these words where, where John writes, then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Now look at verse 7 with me. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. I love this. I love this. What a beautiful picture of our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture of us as we live our life living with such great expectation of the day when we would stand before our Savior face to face. What a beautiful picture that can only be found when we study the Word of God in its entirety and understand that Jesus is maybe so much more than we ever once understood, so much more than we ever truly knew about Jesus. And here we begin to see that the bridegroom will return. He will come to marry his bride. And it teaches us of a very powerful and pursuing Savior a very gracious God, a very loving and sanctifying Lord who loves his bride unconditionally. I love what Matthew Henry once wrote speaking about the church, the bride of Christ. He wrote these words. He says, she had washed her robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And these, her nuptial ornaments, she did not purchase any price with it by any price of her own but receive them as the gift and grant of her blessed Lord the marriage is declared to be such as it would make all those happy who were called to it so called as to accept the invitation I love what Matthew Henry points out to us this need to be ready this need to anticipate the return of our Savior, this need to, to live our life as though we're not promised tomorrow. And here we see that in this last and final verse, Revelation 7, where he says, and his bride has made herself ready. Let me ask you something here this morning. Because I think all of us in this room would probably agree that none of us are promised tomorrow. How many of you are living your life today as though tomorrow will come? How many of you are living your life today? How many of you are living your life, truly living your life today like we are living, leaving tomorrow? How many of, are pack, how many of us are packing our bags, so to speak, None of us in this room would ever prepare for a vacation at the time in which we are to walk out the door. Every one of us would pack our bags. We would check our list. We would, there would be things that we would do to prepare 
for the trip, the journey that we were about to take. And yet all through our life, sometimes we find ourselves living our life as though we'll never stand face to face with God. The word of God in Matthew 25 challenges us. Jesus says, be ready. Be ready. What are we doing to ready ourselves? What are we doing to ensure that we are ready? God's word said his bride has made herself ready. You know, ask anybody who's been married or maybe in the process of being married how much time they spent preparing for their wedding day. Even if you know somebody who's done this, I mean, we, we've, we've even heard the stories, right? I mean, preparing for a wedding day can be a maddening experience, right? It can be a, a time of, of conflict. There's, there's, there's arguing and there, you know, how many guests should we invite? No, we can't go with that many. Oh, we've got to have that many, you know. There, you know, all these details that have to be worked out. And there's so much planning and so much effort that's being put. I, I know there are couples that spend a year, six months, I mean, many months planning for one day of their life. For one day of their life. For one day of their life, so much effort goes into planning for that day. How much time are you, are you using to plan for the rest of your life? How much time are you using to plan for what will happen after that day? These are the kind of questions I think we need to be challenged with as we think about Jesus as our bridegroom. How beautiful of a picture that has been painted for us that Jesus is making in us that Jesus is sanctifying us that Jesus is cleansing us he is preparing what effort are we putting into that that's the question that we need to ask for ourselves but we are all working with Jesus as the bride of Christ we're working for that day when we would stand before our bridegroom In all of our splendor. In all of our splendor. In just a moment, we're going to have a time where we close out the service. Our band will come out in just a moment. They'll lead us in this last song. And we'll stand and we'll sing praises and adorations to God. And I pray that today as you do that, that, that you would be encouraged to just think about who Jesus is. And think about all that Christ has done for you in your life. Think about the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And I pray that today as we, as we celebrate Jesus in this last song, that we would also be reflective of, of every little detail that he does and be challenged to ask ourselves, are we ready? Our pastors are down front. The altar is open. If, if, if what you feel your best response is, is, is needed prayer. Come to this altar and pray. Maybe come to this altar and just praise God for what he's done in your life. Remove yourself from your comfort zone, from your place of comfort, and come to this altar and just fall on your face before God. and Just worship him in spirit and truth. Maybe today 
none of this really makes sense. And what you desire more than anything is to have some of your questions answered. And so our pastors are down front. We'd love the opportunity to have conversation with you. We had several conversations after the first service just helping people understand who Jesus is and what Jesus wants to do in their life. But I pray, too, that we would also be encouraged that we have a Savior. His name is Jesus, and He is relentless in pursuing us. And I pray that today, if you feel that there is a distance between you and God, that God would bless you beyond measure as you realize He has now begun to to woo you, to draw you near, to pursue you, to chase after you, to go where he has to go, that you may experience him more and more every day. We have a wonderful Savior, amen? We have a wonderful Savior, and his name is Jesus.